0: You're listening to episode 12 of Rainbow Baby, a podcast documenting a journey of pregnancy after loss. I'm your host, Taylor Bates. In May 2018, my first child, Ellis, was stillborn at 31 weeks for unknown reasons. In the depths of unimaginable grief, my husband, Hunter, and I knew we wanted to try again. Since then, we've experienced new pregnancies and more loss. We're still hoping for our rainbow baby which is defined as a baby born subsequent to a miscarriage, stillbirth, or the death of an infant from natural causes. I want to share my story with you because life after pregnancy loss can be so isolating. You'll also hear conversations with others who've walked this path before me. This episode kicks off season two after I've been hibernating for three months during the holiday season and our IVF frozen embryo transfer. I talk about what this season was like for us and what our next step is. I'm also going to be responding to listener-generated questions this season, and on this episode in particular, I'm answering the question, how do you respond to unintentionally rude or unhelpful comments? I share some of the most common comments I've received and how they've made me feel. I talk about how I've responded to them and best practices for communicating during pregnancy loss, grief, and trying to conceive after loss. Here's the episode. Hi everyone. I'm so glad to be back to this podcast. I've been taking a break for the past few months um, and I'm going to call this season two. I feel like it had kind of a natural end to season one as we came into the holidays and also got into the thick of our IVF cycle, um, which I do want to share with you some updates on what's happened since October, which was the last episode of this podcast. So the last update episode that Hunter and I did together, we talked about our egg retrieval, which we ended up getting four embryos from. We were really happy with that. They were genetically tested and um, proven to be, or shown to be healthy, hopefully. Nothing is guaranteed. Um, And we went on to have our first Frozen embryo transfer on December eighteenth, which was Hunter's birthday, it was a really nice day. He took the day off of work to take care of me um, and just spend the day together, really cultivating a sense of hope. Um, and it was during the holidays, so we had a lot of really great distractions because that time of waiting can be really tense. You know, they call it the two-week wait. And I was really pleased because I managed to not have a lot of anxiety during that time. And we were surrounded by friends and family, which was so great. And we had a sense of, of hope and lots of love surrounding us. Um, and unfortunately, the cycle didn't end up working. So I got a negative pregnancy test. I think it was um, the day after New Year's. And was honestly shocked to see a negative pregnancy test. On the day of our transfer, I remember as my doctor had just completed the procedure, she looked at me and said, this is going to work. And when your doctor says that, you really think, oh, this is going to work. We had no indication that it wouldn't. And she thought we had a 70 to 80% chance of success of having a full-term pregnancy. So it was really difficult um, to see that negative and honestly put me into a space of wanting to hibernate and just kind of go inside myself and hide away from everything for a little bit. So there was about two weeks where I was just in a really dark space again with all of it and definitely brought up feelings of grief that I'm now really familiar with in that space of darkness and grief so thankfully I know that usually when I get into that place it's it's temporary and I have the tools now I know what I need to get through that time in a in a healthy way while still letting myself feel those sad feelings and that sense of isolation. Um, so slowly I started to feel better and had a follow-up appointment with my doctor where she said that she'd talked with the other doctors in our clinic and consulted, consulted with them about our situation, our history. And was recommending that we try a different medication protocol this time. So the first transfer cycle, we had what, what they call a programmed cycle. So they completely took over all of my hormones. Um, so I was taking oral medications of estrogen and injecting um, progesterone oil via syringes every day. Um, and this time, they want to try what they call a natural cycle, which... Is appealing to me because I like to um, do things naturally if possible. But what's interesting is that it's actually a lot more involved than um, the programmed cycle was. So I'm taking more medications with the natural cycle. Right now I'm on this medication called letrozole, which um, they actually give to women who have breast cancer as a, it's a way to suppress Um, estrogen in the body and for me right now they're wanting to suppress my estrogen so that I don't um, create a bunch of as many follicles and eggs as I normally would in a typical cycle Um, so they're just wanting me to produce like one or two follicles and then tonight actually I'm going to start um, doing the folistim injection into my belly and I'll do that for I think five days. Um, and that will help that follicle to develop. And then, um, after that Hunter will give me what they call a trigger shot and that will trigger ovulation in my body, hopefully. So along the way, they'll be doing ultrasounds just to make sure everything looks like, um, they want it to, and that I'm responding how they want me to. Um, and then after that trigger shot, about a week later, um, I guess it's more like five or six days, they'll, do, they'll transfer another frozen embryo. Um, so the other thing that my doctor recommended was to do this procedure, a, a minimally invasive surgery called a hysteroscopy. And I had that done two weeks ago um, and they did have to put me under full anesthesia, so I was out for the whole thing. But it only took about 20 minutes. And they put a camera into my uterus, um, and she wanted to specifically look at my C-section scar because she was wondering if that, if there might be any extra scar tissue that could be affecting implantation. Um, some women can have just problems with their C-section scars. So um, she went in, and my scar looked great. I actually got to see pictures of it afterwards. And the one thing she did find was um, what she called kind of an inflamed patch of endometrial tissue. And so she removed it. At first, she thought it was a, it might be a polyp, and that's what she told us after surgery. But um, it was sent off and, um, to a laboratory, and they determined that it was um, not a polyp and it was not endometriosis either. Um, it was just kind of benign endometrial tissue. So I'm hoping that who knows if that'll help, you know, but it seems like having a clean and clear uterus can't hurt. Um, and the other thing that she said is that just the act of doing this procedure, um, can stimulate, the uterine lining to have almost like kind of an immune reaction and make it, quote, more sticky. So more of an inviting environment for an embryo to um, implant. So even if they hadn't found anything, she was hopeful that just doing the procedure would help us. So doing that procedure and trying the natural cycle, the natural protocol this time, Both of those things started to um, help me to get back my hope again about trying because, honestly, after the first one failed, I was just, like, (sighs) hopeless. You know, like, this is just not going to work for us. And, you know, we've had a stillbirth, a miscarriage, chemical pregnancies, and now a failed IVF cycle. And it, it just was like a gut punch. Um, and really made me question, you know, like how much more of this can I take? Um, so I've kind of gotten over that hump and my mom gave me a good pep talk. She's like, we got to just keep trying. There's, they haven't given you a reason to stop trying or stop believing. So I'm pepping myself up again and, honestly, feeling more optimistic, more hopeful every day as as it gets closer. Um, so I hope I can maintain that. Um, so please keep us in your thoughts and I will absolutely share about the process on Instagram and my blog as we go along and on this podcast. Um, so about a week ago, on Instagram, on my stories, I shared that I wanted to kick off this new season of the Rainbow Baby podcast with a Q&A episode, and I was really um, grateful that several people submitted really thoughtful questions, so I'll just jump in. The first question is, how do you respond to unintentionally rude or unhelpful comments? This is probably the most loaded question for me. Um, And I want to start off by saying for any of you listening out there who have um, found yourself feeling awkward or thought I said the wrong thing to that person after they experienced a loss, I don't want to um, shame you. I don't want you to regret something that you said. Um... So, if you've found yourself saying any of the things that I'm about to say, you know, just know that um, I give you grace, and I know that your intentions are good. So, I don't want anyone out there to feel bad about themselves if you've encountered yourself on the other end of any of these things. So, anyways, here we go. Um, so things that I think are. Not helpful, or things that I've had said to me that um, really hurt. Initially, after having the um, having the stillbirth and Ellis's death, grieving that and recovering from a c-section, I had a lot of people who would see me and say, "Oh, Taylor, you look so great. You've lost all your baby weight. And that was really hard to hear because at the time all I wanted was a baby and it was a reminder that I wasn't pregnant anymore. Um, and even though it was a compliment, like I looked great. I looked back to quote normal. Um, really it was because I was grieving and I wasn't eating and I lost like 20 pounds in the first week after Alice's stillbirth. And, um, so maybe My point is that after a woman experiences a loss, just try to avoid commenting on her body. Um, Just my biggest advice is always just to show up and listen or just sit with that person. Um, And again, if you found yourself saying something like that, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I'm just hoping that this, this is more preventative. So, um, and helpful for people out there. The other thing that I've heard a million times over is God has a plan and you just have to trust it. There's lots of different iterations of God has a plan that I've heard. And that can also be so hurtful because it's like, well, how come God's plan for everyone else is to easily get pregnant and have healthy babies? Why was his plan for me to, for all my babies to die so far. Um, And I do, I, I am a Christian. I have my own beliefs about how God might work in my life. But one of the best things I heard was from a friend, a really great friend who is a minister and also was featured on this podcast, Jess Lowry in October. And she said, Taylor, I know God did not cause this but he's here to walk us through it. And that's just what I've clung to. Every time someone says, oh, God has a plan. Everything happens for a reason. You just have to trust that God has a plan for you. Um, I just remind myself, God did not cause this, but he's right here with me, grieving with me, hurting with me, crying with me. Um, And I'm catching myself right now using... um, referring to God as a he, and that's something that I was um, kind of raised with that I'm trying to overcome. So um, sometimes I'll refer to God as a she or God as it, um, God as spirit. Um, But I like to think of God as showing up through all the people who've been with me to support me and sit with me and just listen and cry with me. Um, women and men in my life who've been so great and wonderful I think God has been working through those people so um, try to avoid that phrase that um, everything happens for a reason or God has a plan for you maybe that's um, maybe that person will come to that conclusion on their own eventually but um, that needs to be in their their own time and um, not something that comes from someone else. The other thing that I've heard is God needed another angel. That's kind of similar, equally hurtful. And if you really study theology, that's not how angels work. (laughs) Um, and that's not how God works. God doesn't need more angels. And that's not why Ellis died. Um, so just try not to use that one. Um, more lately in the last year what I've heard as we've been really open about trying to conceive again and talking about our IVF journey. I've gotten a lot of um, comments and advice through that process. Um, The biggest most common one is just stop trying and you'll get pregnant and there's lots of anecdotes about friends who did IVF and or went through years of trying to conceive and then they just stopped trying and magically they got pregnant. And, you know, those anecdotes are true. Um, that does happen, but it is not helpful advice when you're in the thick of it. And also you don't know what someone is being advised by their doctors. Um, for us, we have a team of medical professionals who are advising us and I take, their direction very seriously so if they told me to stop trying I would I have listened to that I've actually had my fertility doctor say this month don't try because um, we were about to start IVF and she didn't want us to get pregnant and potentially have another chemical pregnancy or a miscarriage before we were about to start our treatment Um, so I listened to that and she said just take this month to um, take care of yourself, do things that you enjoy, don't think about trying. And that was great advice. Um, but to, to tell someone, to tell one of your friends, oh, just stop trying and you'll get pregnant. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're, um, if they have a certain diagnosis or what their doctor is telling them. So just avoid that one. Um, and usually if someone has told me that, um, I just don't even really verbally respond and they kind of figure out that that wasn't helpful and they'll start talking about something else. Um, that might not be the, that's kind of a passive approach, but, um, like I said, I don't want to hurt people's feelings because I know they're just trying to be there for me and, um, love on me and they want us to get pregnant. So they they just share advice that they've either heard before. Um, and so when when it's uncomfortable and awkward, I understand that um, why people end up just saying those things that are kind of easy to say or the cliches that people say. Um, so kind of along with just stop trying is like, stop, stop stressing, you know, um, Or I've also heard, are you really gonna let them pump you up with all those hormones? um, which was kind of an extreme comment. It was right before I was about to start IVF. And like I said earlier, I usually like to do things naturally. Um, so of course I don't want to be quote pumped up with a lot of hormones, but, um, this is again, what our doctor has recommended. And, um, so just try not to comment on people's bodies. Um, Or their infertility, what they're going through, try not to give them advice. They're probably getting advice from a medical professional. Um, Another topic is like people um, telling us, you know, that you're still young, you've got plenty of time, or I know God's gonna bless you with children, um, or maybe you should. Go get your um, your future read by a psychic and that will tell you when your baby is going to come. Try not to project into someone's future and either tell them that you know they're going to have a baby or that they have plenty of time to have a baby because, again, you don't know their medical diagnosis, you don't know what their doctor is telling them, you don't know what their plan was. Maybe they wanted to have five children and... They w- wish they could have gotten pregnant several years ago. Um, you don't know if they really do have a lot of time. Some women's eggs are um, have aged more than other women's. So a woman might be 30 but have the eggs of a of a 40-year-old. And it's really critical for her to try to get pregnant as soon as possible. You just don't know these things. So again, just try to refrain from commenting on someone's body. Um, and I guess the question, maybe I'm getting away, I'm focusing on, um, what not to say to people or what to say to people, but the question was how do I respond to unintentionally rude or unhelpful comments? And, um, there was this great anecdote that I heard recently. I went to, um, a luncheon for the Gus Owen Stevens foundation, which is um, started by my friend Elizabeth, whose son died, unfortunately, really sadly. And they've gone on to do really great work. And at this luncheon, they had Bob Goff as the speaker. He was incredible. And he told this story of a friend of his who'd lost a child and they had an acquaintance, um, who they ran into and this acquaintance knew that they'd lost their child and the acquaintance said i know what you're going through i just recently lost my dog and i can only imagine how hurtful that would feel as a as a parent who's just lost a child to have someone compare it to losing their dog um And I don't know how I would respond in that situation, but Bob Goff said that this person responded by saying, well, what was your dog's name? And put his hand on her shoulder. And I just thought that is the most graceful (laughs) response. I don't know if I'd be capable of doing that, but it just recognizes that everyone has pain and struggle and grief and we can't really compare our griefs, sadness is sadness. And so just to have that grace to that person of saying, you know, I, I know how much that must have hurt to lost your dog. And it, it also really, really, really hurt to lose my child. Um, and those, those two things are both grief. Um, so I just, I loved that anecdote and it was something to perhaps aspire to. Um, so I think that in my responses to all of these unintentionally rude or unhelpful comments, I've given out a lot of grace because I know I've been on the other end and I've said those things to people in my life where I've felt awkward or said some dumb cliche and people gave me grace. Um, So I just try to give other people grace. And a lot of times I'll just shake my head you know, I, I won't affirm necessarily some of the extreme unhelpful comments, but, um, I'll just kind of look at the person and smile and say, thank you. Um, and I know some people might disagree with that because perhaps I'm encouraging, um, the wrong kind of cliches or, or things for people to say, but, um, I think that people tend to know when they've kind of said the wrong thing and, and I think it's, um, it makes me feel better just to trust that I can tell this person's intentions are good. And just the fact that they showed up for me is meaningful. Um, so I had another friend who said that if you're worried or scared about it, then it means you care you're pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. So if you're worried or scared about saying the wrong thing to someone who's just lost a baby, that means that you really care about them and you, you want to make sure that you say the right thing. Um, so just trust that people are saying, you know, they're doing the best they can to show up and support you. Um, but I also know how hard it can be sometimes to be the recipient. Um, So I hope that um, if you're listening, if you've experienced pregnancy loss yourself, or you're a person who loves someone who's experienced pregnancy loss and wants to know how to support them, I hope you feel like you just have more insight into all of these questions. like I said at the beginning of this episode, I don't want anyone to feel shamed or embarrassed or um, upset by any of the things that I've talked about. Like if you've um, if you've been on the other end of of saying something that you that could have offended someone, um, so I, I just want my words to be encouraging and helpful. So I hope that's what you take away from it. I hope this episode was meaningful for you. To connect with me, you can visit com, and also find me on Instagram. Please share this podcast with anyone you know who is walking through life after pregnancy loss, whether they are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, or parenting after loss. And please subscribe and review this podcast. Your feedback will help shape this podcast and will also help others to find it. Ratings and reviews are so important. Stay tuned for the next episode, where I'm so excited to share a hope-filled conversation with my sister-in-law, Shannon Pike. Shannon and I first became connected through Instagram after our babies were stillborn just 11 days apart. We realized we lived just an hour away from each other and decided to meet up in person. Since then, Shannon walked through more loss after the miscarriage of her twins and about a year later gave birth to her rainbow baby Freya. I loved hearing Shannon's powerful perspective on hope during pregnancy after loss and how she coped with anxiety and fear. I know her story is going to have an impact on you and can't wait to share it. Until next time, I'm Taylor Bates. Thank you so much for listening.